We're doing a study on the Trinity. You're going to run into this because there seems to be a resurgence of two types of theologies. One is oneness. Uh, it's, it, it does not believe in the Trinity. It just believes that, that there's just one being, not Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, but just one being. They believe that when Jesus was on the earth as a man, that in Jesus was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, meaning there was no deity in heaven. The whole deity was in Christ. That's oneness. There's another belief that is going around today that is gaining ground, and that is the belief that, that there's one God. Jesus is not God. Um, now, this, this is not a new teaching because the Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus was the first being that God created, the first thing God made was Jesus. That's what the Jehovah Witnesses believe. But now there's a growing belief within the body or within the church ranks, I won't say within his body, but within the ranks of Christianity that believe Jesus was, Jesus was not God. Um, but he represented God and God was manifested in Jesus, but he was not God in essence or nature. So I want to study this. Um, I told you you're going to run into this because it's just like a, a revival of this everywhere, all through Europe. It's spreading across America. And I had somebody say to me, well, I heard you say that last week and I never thought, you know, I'd run into that anytime soon. But two days later, I did. I ran into somebody that did not believe Jesus was God. And um, I just thought how amazed I was that you said we are going to start facing this. And you're going to. I want to give you some attributes of God. Um, I do not mean to exhaust his attributes in this list. This is just a few things that will characterize God as God. If, if God is God, then this must pertain to God. He's eternal. That means he is uncreated. As I said last week, I want to say tonight that you are not eternal. You are immortal, but you're not eternal. That just simply means you had a beginning. You'll never have an end. You're going to live forever with God or in hell, but you're going to live forever. So you're immortal, but you're not eternal. God had no beginning. God will have no end. God is uncreated, and he is the creator of all things. Everything that exists has come from God or the allowance of God. God is omnipotent, means he is almighty. He is all-powerful. God is omniscient. He knows everything. He's never learned anything. He cannot be taught because to, to insinuate that God could be taught something means there's something he doesn't know. He knows everything. There's nothing that he could learn. He's omnipresent. He is everywhere at once. Everywhere. Full manifestation of his being everywhere. I'm talking about all over the universe. I'm not just talking about on planet earth. He's everywhere at one moment. He is holy. He is immutable. And what I mean by immutability is God does not change. He cannot change if he's God. That means everything he was in eternity past he is exactly that right now, and everything he is right now, he will forever be without any fluctuation in his attributes or his nature. Nothing in God is ever lost. Nothing in God is ever diminished. When God gives grace, 
There's not a diminishing of his grace. When God exerts his power to do something in the earth, then there's not a depletion of his power. He is as full of power after he's done a work of power as he was before he ever did it. You'll never grasp that. You, you never will. But that's, that's what God declares about himself. There can be nothing which describes his majesty. His greatness cannot be conceived. No statement can express him. He is without growth, addition, or development. Nothing in him is less. Nothing in him is more. God cannot change for the better since he is perfectly holy. He has never been less holy than he is now and can never be holier than he is and has always been. Neither can God change for the worse. Any deterioration within the unspeakable holy nature of God is impossible. Indeed, I believe it impossible to even think such a thing. For the moment we attempt to do so, the object we are now thinking is no longer God. All that God is, He has always been. And all that He has been and is, He will ever be. Nothing that God has ever said about himself will ever be modified. Nothing the inspired prophets and apostles have said about him will be rescinded. His immutability guarantees this. And I want to say something very important. I'll I'll refer to it again. But in the book of Hebrews, it says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Nobody but God can claim that about their nature. Because only God is the one that had no beginning and will have no end. Nothing else can say that because everything had a beginning. There's no angel that can say, as I was, I am and will be. Because an angel cannot say, as I was, that angel had a beginning. God made that angel. So God is immutable. God is inerrant. It is impossible for him to be wrong. It is impossible for him to do wrong. He is infallible. It is impossible for God to lie. He is just. He is right. He's undiminished. He's sovereign. There's nothing above him. He takes counsel from no one. No one controls him. No one dictates to him. These movements about faith, you know, we say faith, you can, faith is a power, it's a force that moves God, and you can put God under spiritual law, makes faith and makes law greater than God. Nothing's above God. Nothing moves God but his own compassions of himself. He responds to faith. He responds to people who put their hope in him because he chooses to. He's sovereign. He is unlimited. He prophesies. And as I closed last week, I said, God is love. And I said, you know, all these things God is. He's holy, he's just, he's righteous, all these things. But God is love is the very essence of his complete being. It is the very essence of him. Over and over again in the Bible, God says that he is love. The very aspect of his nature. And that just simply means that everything that's in God is filtered through his love. Everything. The fact that God is just means that he is love. It would be unloving for a being of great power to be, un, to be unjust. But because he's a loving God, he's a just God. Anything but justice would be absolutely cruel. God is holy. God is righteous. God is all of these things. 
But if there's ever a moment where God could do something just or do something merciful, mercy always trumps. Mercy always trumps justice in God. If there's a way for God to pardon, He will pardon. If there's a way for God to show mercy, He will show mercy. That's the essence of His being. And everything flows out of His love. Everything. God is love. Now, what I want to get to tonight, and I'm excited about getting to this. You can turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 28. And we're going to look at a few scriptures. We're going to look at Philippians 2, Hebrews 1 and 2, and 1 Timothy 3. These are our primary texts tonight, and I want you to study these. I want to talk about tonight the humanity of Jesus Christ. The humanity of Jesus Christ. This is where most people get deceived. They get messed up when it concerns the Trinity and the humanity of Jesus Christ. And with the help of the Holy Ghost, and just by the simplicity of His Word, we will see what God says about the man, Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to understand something. Whenever anybody begins to question the deity of Jesus Christ, you will find they begin to question fundamental doctrines of God's Word. They'll begin to question everything. They'll question heaven. They'll question hell. They'll question the fall of man. They'll question the redemption of man. Everything will come into question when God himself comes into question. So don't ever question God, whatever the Bible says. Just believe it. Just believe that. That's what it says. In, Hebrew, in, in Isaiah 28, verse 9, it says, Whom shall he teach knowledge? So this is, this is it. God wants to teach knowledge. Who can God teach? Who can God teach knowledge? Whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Who can God teach doctrine to? The, them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. Now listen, for precept must be upon precept. Precept upon precept line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. That's the way you learn. That's the way you understand. If you're going to come to know doctrine, then I'll tell you this, you don't take anything out of its context. If you want to know doctrine, you don't pull a verse of Scripture out and then try to build something around there. That's where we get all of these false religions. That's where we get a lot of, of divisions in the church. Because somebody takes something out of context and tries to build something around it. God says, if I'm going to teach you, and if you're going to learn doctrine, you don't get out of my word. It's precept upon precept, and it's line upon line. Now, let me show this to you. I want you to see how it is. We would call it in, in, in the New Testament, rightly dividing the word of truth. A workman of God must study to show himself approved, rightly dividing the word of truth. So you've got to know how to understand and divide the word of truth. So go to John chapter 14, and I want you to see this statement. This is where a lot of people would come in and say, see, right here, it proves that Jesus is not God. Because if Jesus were God, he could never say this. And so this is where people get deceived. And there, there's a few other passages we could read, but for the sake of time, I'm just going to read this one. In John 14, 28, 
You have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If you loved me, you would rejoice, because I said, I go to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. Now, right there, if that's the only scripture you had in your Bible, if that's all you had about the person of Jesus Christ, then none of us could demand that Jesus were God. We, would, we, we could come logically to the conclusion that Jesus must not be God, He must be less than God if this is the only scripture we had. But if we build precept upon precept and line upon line, then we have to understand other scriptures that also talk about Jesus Christ in order for us to know the doctrine of the deity and the humanity of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the apostle Paul says in verse 3, and if this were again the only two scriptures we had, But I would have you to know, I would have you know, that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of every woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. And so right there, if these were the only two scriptures we had about Jesus, and who he was, and his nature, then we would say, you know, in this particular passage, in the context of it, we would say, isn't Jesus greater than men? You know, isn't that in he, in he beyond us? I mean, he never sinned. He's the head of all men. And if Jesus is greater than men in this context, and God is the head of Jesus, then God must be greater than Jesus. And if God is greater than Jesus, then Jesus cannot be God. And that's where people get off. And that's where people get deceived. Because they get deceived in the incarnation of the man Christ Jesus and, and the humanity of Christ. They get deceived right there. Now, I'll give you these scriptures early on because I'm going to teach you other aspects and then we're going to come back to them at the end. But I want you to see very clearly that there are people out there, groups out there, that do not believe Jesus Christ is God because of John 14, where Jesus says, The Father's greater than me. And based upon that verse of Scripture, they declare Jesus cannot be God. Or they might use what Paul said, that the head of Christ is God. Therefore, Jesus cannot be God. But if we look line upon line and precept upon precept, we come to something much different. God became a man, and that man was Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, now I want you to see this. We're just Let me tell you something. Of all of the messages that I'm going to give you and all the lessons that we're going to have on the Trinity, I would be willing to say this is the most important message I'm going to give. You've got to get this. You've got to understand this. When people are in error, what you will find them doing is as quickly as they can, they get out of the Word. They'll go into other books, other men's thoughts, They'll go into a line of human reasoning. Well, this is what I think, or this is how I think it would apply. But when there's truth, you need to go nowhere else but the Bible. And it's simple enough for a baby to understand. simple enough for a child to understand. That's the level of understanding I desire to have. I just want to be able to read it. That's what it says. That's what I believe. All right? So in Hebrews, or I'm sorry, in Philippians chapter 2, The Apostle Paul talks about Jesus Christ coming to earth. 
And we're going to pick up in verse 5. And I want you to see this. Before I read these scriptures, I'm going to give you seven things that I want you to see from, these, from the verses we're about to read that, that characterize Jesus Christ, who he is. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit them again, but I'm going to give you a list of seven things right now. You're going to find in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, that number one, Jesus Christ was in the form of God. He was in the form of God. Number two, he thought it not robbery to think himself equal to God. Number three, he took the nature of a servant. Number four, he humbled himself to obedience, even death on a cross. Number five, the Father exalted him. Number six, the Father commands or causes all to bow to him in submission and worship. And number seven, the Father will cause all men to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and this will be to the glory of God the Father. Now let's read it. Verse five, let this, man, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Meaning this, Jesus saw no harm, no guilt, no illegal assumption on his part to declare that I am equal with God. There was nothing on his part to declare that. It would have been totally fine for him to say that. But he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Now in verse 6, I want you to make a note at that word form because you have the same word in verse 7. And this is very important. That word form does not mean the shape. It's, it's not where we get our word shape, where you form something and, and you make something to look like something. In the Greek, that word form means nature. It means like nature. And so it tells us this, who being in the nature of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the nature of a servant. That just simply means none of us dispute the fact that Jesus became a man, and by nature, he was a man. If Jesus was not a man, then the Bible's a lie. So we know he was a man, and that same word, took on the form of a man, means that he left, he, you're going to see this, he laid aside things. He was always God, never stopped being God. He was the God-man, he is the God-man. But just as he took on the nature of a man, he did and does possess the nature of God. And Jesus Christ thought it was not robbery to declare himself equal to God. But he didn't grasp after that. He didn't grasp it. He would let that go. And he would humble himself and become a servant. And so he says this, verse 7, But made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, the nature of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Now I want you to see this. That word likeness means to be made like, or likeness, or shape. And so Jesus took on the likeness of a man, verse 8 says, being found in fashion as a man. That word fashion means external conditions. And this is what it simply means. That Jesus Christ, when he was incarnate, 
and took on the form of a servant and became a man. I'm just simply telling you, he became fully human. But the only distinction between him or, or why there would be this likeness with some degree of difference, the only difference would be that in him was no sin. No sin whatsoever. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So that would be the distinction of Jesus in regards to his humanity, but he's fully human. So he's made in the likeness of men. He's found in fashion as a man, and he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also highly exalted him and has given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. This is in homage, this is in reverence, and this is in worship. There, every knee in heaven, in earth, and in hell is going to bow and it is going to confess, and this is to the insatiable delight of God the Father, it is going to confess Jesus Christ is Lord. And that word Lord is kurios in the Greek, which means sovereign one. It means God. All right, that's what the word means. Anywhere you go and you find Lord, when it speaks of the Father, it is the same word denoted when it refers to the Son. You cannot change that. God is going to have everybody in heaven, earth, and hell worship the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to see why that's significant in just a moment. So God is going to cause people everywhere to do it. The Father exalts him. He causes everyone to be in submission to him and to worship him and confess that he is Lord to the glory of God. <clears throat> now, I want to say this. In, in, in time past... The difference between Jesus and us. And the difference between Jesus and us is infinite. Because the difference between Jesus Christ and time past and us is we all had a beginning. Jesus never did. Jesus always was. He's the second person of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. This is brought out in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Several times in the New Testament, God declares that Jesus is the begotten one. That word begotten, this is so significant, so significant. That word begotten means the sole, the one and only, the unique of no other kind. Jesus Christ is the Son of God in a way that no one else is. In the Greek, that word begotten, by definition, does not and cannot imply that there was ever a beginning of his sonship. It was eternal. And this word begotten in the Greek can only be understood when it is used of the son in the sense of an unoriginated relationship. That just simply means when I met Chad, there was a day we met. There was a day we were introduced. That was the day our relationship originated. Well, in the context of begotten, 
to only understand, it's only application means that of all the sons of God, Jesus is the only son with his father that was forever eternally in a relationship with his father and there was never a beginning to it. It never started, it always was. I'll, I'll never even try to explain that one to you. But I'll quote something that Jesus said in his prayer in John 17. He said, for thou lovest me before the foundations of the world. That word lovest me is not in the context of God so loved the world or God loved you. That means God's disposition to all men was one of love. This word Jesus uses in John 17 that you loved me before the foundations of the world means that you and I shared an intimate, moral relationship with one another before the foundations of the world or creation ever began. There was Jesus. There was Jesus all the way back there, all right? And you and I, we weren't, but he was. And so as you continue this, you're going to see, I believe, some very significant things out of Hebrews chapter 1. In Hebrews chapter 1, we're going to read through so many of these, but I'm going to give you a list as well before we start. Number one, the list that you're going to find in Hebrews 1, God made the worlds by Jesus. Number two, Jesus is the brightness of his glory. Number three, Jesus is the express image of his person. Number four, Jesus sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Number five, this is so important. He became better than the angels and was called the son of God. Number six, God commands the angels to worship him. All right, this is absolutely significant when it concerns the person of Jesus Christ. Now, Philippians chapter 2 is enough for me to know that the man Jesus Christ is and always was God. John 3.16 is enough for me to know that that one God gave was one who was unique of all other men and all other sons. That's enough for me to know. As I build line upon line and precept upon precept, and when I hear Jesus say that the Father is greater than I, and now I'm reading things in the Bible that refer to his eternal past with his Father, that I hear other things, that he is there to, as, as the one who created the worlds, then I have to understand there's something to Jesus that we must know. And so in Hebrews chapter 1, God who had sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. Stop there. Don't keep reading. We're going to read it all together. But I don't want you to miss this. Please stay with me. By Jesus, God made the worlds. I'm going to give you a scripture that you can never forget. And this scripture that I want you to understand is in Isaiah 44, 24. And I'm going to quote it to you. Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, and he that formed thee from the womb, 
I am the Lord that makes all things, that stretched forth the heavens alone. I stretched forth the heavens alone. Nobody helped me. And spread it abroad, the earth, by myself. God emphatically declares in the book of Isaiah that God, by himself, alone, made the heavens and the earth. We believe there's one God. We don't believe there are three gods. We don't believe there are three thrones. We believe there's one God, one throne, existing in three persons, because that's the way he's revealed himself, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So in Genesis chapter 1, when God says, and let us make man in our image, who is he talking to? He's talking to the Son and the Holy Ghost. He's talking to himself as a triune personality and being who are dynamically and indivisibly one. I can't explain that. Somebody asked me that. Can you explain the Trinity? I said, with all of the excitement and joy and gladness in my heart, I can tell you, no, I can't. And I'm glad I can't because God is so awesome, so vast, so infinite. I cannot do that. But when God in Isaiah, and don't forget that, Isaiah 44, 24, God says, I did it alone. I did it by myself. In Hebrews chapter 1, he says in verse 2, read it again. In these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. He's appointed heir of all things by whom also he made the worlds. Well, according to God, God by himself and alone made the worlds. Therefore, this Jesus must be God. He must be. He must be the one. And we understand there must be a father. Because the father said, I did it through him. I did it by him. There must be a father. Now, who is this one that God, um, by whom he made the worlds? Who is he? We know he's the son. He says in verse 3, he is the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the power of his word. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Let me tell you something, guys. This man, Jesus Christ, this son, Jesus Christ, is sitting on the throne with God. He's not sitting where the 24 elders are sitting around the throne. He's sitting on it at the right hand of the Father's power. All right? Don't forget that. Only God has a right to that throne. He'll put no man other than Jesus up there. And so you understand this. He's the express image of his person. He sits down on the right hand. Now, this is so important. I want you to see it. Verse 4. This is how you begin to understand the humanity of Jesus Christ. This is where people get deceived. You've got to understand it. Being made. How many of you know that Jesus, as God, when he was incarnate, was made something other than he was? He never stopped being God, so he never changed in that way. As far as nature and attributes, he never changed. But he did take on the nature of a servant. Philippians chapter 2 Therefore, he was made something. He was incarnate. This day, I have begotten you. Meaning that he was made of something. The Bible says he was made so much better than the angels. That's important because in chapter 2 of Hebrews, listen to me. 
In chapter 2 of Hebrews, you're going to find that before he was made better than the angels, he was made lower than the angels. All right? So Jesus, in his humanity, became lower than the angels. You and I are lower than the angels. All right? We're going to be exalted above the angels one day. But we're not right now. We're lower than the angels. Jesus was made lower than the angels. But in chapter 1, verse 4, he's made. That means he's made. He's become better than the angels. It's talking about his office and his position. As he has, by inheritance, obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, You are my son. This day have I begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Well, I'm going to just say this one more time. The day that Jesus was begotten of the Virgin Mary was not the day he started to exist. Because Jesus said in John 17, you loved me before the foundations of, the, of, of, the, of creation were ever laid. And again, verse 6, when he brings in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. This is so significant. If you don't get this, you don't want to get it. If you don't get this, you don't have the faith to just believe what God says. And I feel sorry because how can you believe even for salvation? Just to believe what God says. He made the angels, God made the angels worship him. That word let is a, is a, is a, is a, a directive it is a directive command to command the angels to worship Jesus. Why is this significant? Because God has declared numerous times through his word, only God is to be worshipped. Only God. It is a crime to worship any other gods but the one true God. Exodus 34, 14. For you shall worship no other God. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Exodus 20, 3 through 5. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make unto you any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down yourself to them. Well, what's God going to cause people to do in heaven, earth, and hell in Philippians chapter 2? He's going to cause everybody to bow to Jesus. But God says right here, you're not to bow to anything that's not God, nor to serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers upon the children under the third and fourth generations of them that hate me. And Jesus said in Matthew 4, 9 through 10, He said to them, All these things what Satan said to Jesus, All these things will I give you, If you will fall down and worship me. Then said Jesus to him, the devil, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, And him only shall you serve. And so I've read twice in the Old Testament, once in the New Testament, precept upon precept, line upon line, enough to see the doctrine of worship. Nothing is to be worshipped but God. 
God is jealous whenever we worship or bow to any other gods. Therefore, I ask you, why would God himself cause the angels of heaven to worship somebody that's not God? That ought to be enough. That ought to be enough for everybody. That ought to be enough for anybody that wants to dispute the authenticity and deity and the lordship of Jesus Christ. Because God himself causes everything in heaven, earth, and hell to bow to Jesus and confess him as Lord. And then he's causing the angels to worship him because he is God. That's why he does that. God will never tempt a man or anyone to sin. And God would never tempt the angels to worship somebody that's not God if he weren't God. And so he allows this to happen. God gives the commandment for it to be done because Jesus Christ is God. In verse 8, God calls Jesus God. God calls him God. Just like Jesus called the Father God, here's the Father calling the Son God. All right? He says here in, 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 in verse 8, he says, But unto the Son, he says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even your God, has anointed you with the all of gladness above your fellows, above your fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning, has laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thine hands. That goes back to verse 1 and 2 about how God made everything through Christ. And so it's all the work of his hands. He laid the foundations of the earth. This is the Lord Jesus, that the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, all working together in absolute unity to produce everything that is. God calls Jesus God. That word God does not mean ruler. That word God in the Greek means deity and divine. That's what the word means. The same word where God says in verse 9 or verse 8, your throne, O God, is the same word for God in verse 9 where it calls the God of Jesus God. They're one, guys. They're one. You have to be able to see it. God confesses that the rule of Jesus Christ is forever. He is the Lord. This word Lord is the same in Philippians 2, the word kurios, Supreme, sovereign authority, master, and God. Jesus was there in the beginning, verses 10 through 13. Look at it. He was there in the beginning. He laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens of the work of his hands. And God said in Isaiah 44, 24, I create everything by myself and alone. And then in Hebrews 13, or, or you see this again in, in, in the end. Let's read it through. 10, verses 10 through 11 it says, 11, they shall perish, but thou remainest. They shall all wax old as a garment, and as a vesture thou shalt fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou, speaking of Jesus, thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. It's nothing to say that to God, but to say that of Jesus denotes that he is God. He is the immutable one. He is the one that doesn't change. So Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 says, Jesus Christ, the same, yesterday, and today, and forever. He changes. Not only God can claim that. And it declares that of Jesus Christ. And so this is it. 
Now, Jesus became a man. Chapter 2, verse 5. Jesus became a man. When he became a man, he became fully human. But still God, but fully human. And he says in verse 5, Under the angels has he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man, that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man, that you visit him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. You say that to somebody that, that, you know, that, that Jesus was made lower than the angels. Say, well, that's just talking about mankind. All right, we'll give them that because it says it in a minute. Thou crownest him with glory and honor and set him over the works of, of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. We know that's Jesus. According to Ephesians chapter 1, that he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Ghost he is the head of the body, the church, and all things, all might, principality, and dominion is under his feet. We know that Ephesians chapter 1. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. But we see Jesus, listen to this, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Why was Jesus made lower than the angels? Because angels don't die. Angels don't have blood. And it is required for sins to be forgiven. There must be the shedding of blood. Whoever came couldn't be an angel. It had to become a man. So he could die. And so he said that. You made him lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man, for it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons into glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. By whom are all things? For whom are all things? This is speaking of Jesus Christ, the one who was made a little bit lower than the angels. Therefore, if everything is by him and everything is for him, he must be the creator and God, the Creator, said, I did it all by myself and alone. Nobody him. It was God in his triune essence that made everything that is. But this is important. I want you to see this. It says very clearly, Jesus was made a little bit lower than the angels. Do you see that? Don does. Anybody else? Amen. All right. He was made a little bit lower than the angels. So do you see the significance in verse 4 of chapter 1? that he now is made better than the angels, all right? Why, is, why does it say he's made better than the angels? Because in his incarnation, when God begot him through the Virgin Mary, in that state of his office as Redeemer, he was in that moment made lower than the angels. No wonder Jesus would say in that condition while he was on earth in the role of humanity, in the role of Redeemer, my Father's greater than I. The angels are greater than me in the state of humanity. But it's not going to stay that way because he's going to make me better than the angels and I'm going to sit upon the throne and worship as God because that's what he is. And so, no wonder. So, so now when you see line upon line and precept upon precept and you read something like that in John 14 where he says, the Father's greater than I, you don't have to go fretting and worried. Oh my gosh, they got me. How do I answer that? If you pull anything out of context, you could build any kind of doctrine. 
But when you study to know who he is, where was he in the past? Who, what, what did he do? And what does God declare of him? Then you begin to see that God really did become a man, that he really did come to earth. The point of this is that the second person of the Godhead became a man. In becoming a man, he became a little bit lower than the angels. In that condition of humanity and redeemer, he became a little bit lower than a man. Philippians chapter 2 gives us incredible insight that he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he didn't grasp after that reputation. He let it go. And he let himself just live among man as man, be with men as men, learn like men learn, live like men live, but never sinned. Had to trust his father to do anything that he was going to do in the earth. He had to have the anointing of the Holy Ghost. He lived that way. Trusted his father. See, he said, my father's greater than I, but I'm going to be exalted. And I'm going to be above the angels. And I'm going to be upon the throne. And I'm going to be worshipped as God. So he was made lower than the angels. And that's why Jesus could say in that context of his humanity, while he was on earth, the Father is greater than I. One more passage, if you'll allow me. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It's a wonderful, wonderful verse of Scripture. It helps us. Because you get some... You get some smarty person who can't just take the Bible for what it says. Don't waste your time. You know, if somebody wants to learn, take your time. Teach them. Go through it with them. You get some just smarty person. Well, then you just come here and you just read verse 16 without controversy. Without controversy. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Now, these guys would take this and say, well, that doesn't mean God was in the flesh. It just meant God was manifesting His presence through Jesus while Jesus was in the flesh. But I'm sorry, it doesn't give you that right. That word manifest means to appear and show Himself. He appeared. He appeared in flesh. That's the great mystery of God. God was appearing in the flesh justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. God literally appeared among men, and when He did, He was Jesus Christ. That's who He was. Line upon line, precept upon precept. Somebody wants to wrestle with that me a little bit more, you know, just argumentatively, this is all I need. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. And then in Matthew 1, And she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God 
with us. I, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful enough that I'm simple enough to just believe God was with us and He was Jesus Christ. But I'm going to tell you what this does. It also blows out of the water oneness theology. Because oneness theology declares that there's one being and He's not a trinity. He's just one. So when God was on earth, or when Jesus was on earth, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost were all in Jesus, and nobody was in heaven. No God was in heaven. They were all here in that body, in Jesus. Then Jesus is a liar. Because he says, while he's on earth, my Father is greater than me. And he also says things that I'm going to my Father. And if I go to my Father, I'm sending the Holy Ghost to you. Why is Jesus saying all of these things if there's not these three people? existing as one. So it also just really shows the, 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 the fallacy of oneness. You, you, you begin to get into this with people that are oneness or people that don't want to claim that Jesus is God himself, God in the flesh. I promise you, they won't stay in the Bible. They won't stay, they won't stay in the words. They won't stay with just what the Bible says. And it is so very important. This is where people get deceived. This is why this message is so foundational. In understanding the Trinity, because most people get very, very confused when they read the statements that Jesus made when he was in his humanity. Paul said there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. He is a man. He wasn't always a man. He was always God. But he became a man. And now he's forever a man. And he will live that way. He's redeemed man. Exalted us. And he's going to allow us to rule and reign with him. But the great confusion. And I pray that you will be able to rightly divide the word of truth. Guys, there are hours upon hours upon hours of scripture that we could look at. But it ought to be enough for somebody to see just the lines that we've laid upon each other. Just the precepts that we've laid upon each other in their context, Hebrews 1 and 2, that Jesus Christ was made a little lower than the angels. Well, no wonder he says in that state, my father's greater than I. But it also says he's the creator and God's the only creator. And God has everybody worship him. And God said, you're not to worship anybody or bow to anybody but me because I'm a jealous God. Get on your knees and worship my son. What is God saying? He's God. That's what God's, God's saying. He's God. And, and, and that should be all anybody needs to be able to see that. But it's so foundational. And you're going, you, you go and, and you read if you've got a friend or you've got somebody that is, is not solid, not clear on the truth of, of the deity of Jesus Christ. And th they'll bring all these scriptures up in the New Testament that, that Jesus makes and other people make about him. You know, no man knows the times but my Father which is in heaven and those he allows to make. So see, Jesus must be let... No, he's, he's in his humanity. He's living as a man and functioning as a man. He can only do what his father does. He can only say what his father says and what his father wants to reveal because he's living like a man showing us how God intended us to live. 
And that's how he lives his life. And that's how he lived his life. So don't get confused. That's the humanity of Christ. That's the incarnation. And that's not a cop-out. That's the truth. He was made a little lower than the angels. He was made in the likeness, the form, and the fashion, and the likeness of a man. He took that nature. And as in that nature, that is less than the, the Father would be greater. But if you even look at that word, greater, it, it doesn't talk about in character or attribute. It talks about office and position. And not in, not in the nature of, but the office of. Just like a husband is the head of his home. He's not greater than his wife. Just he holds an office in that home where he has a greater responsibility and authority in that home, but he's not greater than her. They're, they're both of children of God, redeemed of God and useful of God. So, well, that's it tonight. We're going to worship this God. Amen? I hope you got that. I give you, just encourage you to, to get this. If you, if you didn't get it, you didn't get it written, whatever, all down on your paper. You can order a CD. You can order a DVD. I encourage you. Listen, if you don't get this, then you're missing a significant understanding of the rest of these lessons we're going to do on the Trinity, which is absolutely valuable to every one of us. Father, thank you in Jesus' name that you have revealed yourself and declared yourself so clearly and Father, I thank you that just simple faith, just the faith to believe what you say. And Lord, we give you glory for it. I'm glad. I'm so glad that Jesus is God. I'm glad the Father's God. I'm glad the Holy Ghost is God. And we worship you as God. We extol you, esteem you, God, with all of our heart. And we thank you that you possess the power to save and deliver and heal. Lord, I thank you so much that we would know you, God, and we'd worship you and reverence you with all of our hearts as a gracious and loving God and merciful and holy and kind and just God that you are. The altars are open. I just Let's just worship him tonight. Let's just let our hearts just open up to God. Let our spirits just open up to God and just worship him. God wants us to worship him. Beautiful it is when we do.